Oh, we are recording. All right. So here, let me play some intro music and we can get right into this. Robert and John, listen to me. That old code base, it's a mess. With this patch, Drupal will be stronger than any CMS before. The code base will be much cleaner once they accept your patch. You dream about getting in there with this div that you attached. Just ask all the devs. I'm not sure where to stop that, but I'm going to ju- jump in right now and say welcome to Drupal Easy Podcast number 173. My name is Mike Anello, and I am back at the helm after uh, relinquishing control last week to uh, Ted and Andrew and Kelly, who did a fine job, um, except for a couple comments that I that I think I should address one of them right now, the fact that Andrew um, was prepared to start shoveling lime onto my body, which, you know. To preserve I, it? I guess. I guess because no, that, I wasn't on the podcast, he decided that, oh, well, Mike's no. gone. Let's, let's bury him. Kathy, that's not how you preserve bodies. That's how you cause them to, to break down quickly to hide the evidence. Oh, no. He's, yeah. he's burying you in acid. Yeah. Like, he might have he might as well put me in a bathtub and covered me in acid and like, flushed me down the, <laughs> down the drain. They were well, no, ready. if we learned anything from Breaking Bad, you don't put acid in the bathtub. Yeah, did you see the Mythbusters where they tried to, uh, pr- you know, they, they, they tested that one? That oh, pretty- no, I didn't see that. Yeah, they did it with like a large, large dead pig. It was, oh, uh, of course, <laughs> as was, they do. Yeah, it was quite disgusting, but educational as always. Yeah, so um, welcome to the podcast, uh, co-host Anna Colada. How are you, Anna? Hello, I'm doing well, aside from the snow in Chicago in April. I feel kind um, of guilty. Yeah. I feel kind of guilty because, you know, the three of you mentioned cold weather and and Peter mentioned it might snow up his way in New Jersey. And I got to be honest with you, this weather, the weather you're having is bringing nice, cool, but wonderful weather down here. And I'm I'm feeling slightly Well, I hope you enjoy it. I am enjoying it immensely. (laughs) Our guest today, Kathy Says, welcome back. How are you? Hello, I'm doing well. You sound like you're not fully caffeinated, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get you energized. There. <laughs> <laughs> you're just off. I, I think she's so. wary. <laughs> well, I did just arrive home, so you just flew home, and boy, are your arms tired. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Peter Willanen, um welcome, Peter. How are you? Thanks. Good. Um, glad to be here. This is your first time on, I think. Is it? Is it not? Maybe? Yeah, it's first time. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, welcome because you you've been in the community for a long time, and a lot of people have seen your name. So uh, I'm for, I'm sure for a lot of people, it's good to match up uh, your voice with your name. So sure, because that'll really help when they meet me at TripleCon. There you go. Yeah. So before- <laughs> it'll help when you're talking right behind them, and you start talking, and they'll be like, "I know that voice." Who is that guy? Which where is how I, I met Mike. Where have I heard that voice exactly? Mike does have a unique voice. It's that's a good what, radio voice. That's see, I disagree with that, but it's I'll I'll agree that it's it's unique. I, I'm not convinced it's a good radio voice though. I mean, honestly, that's the only reason why I asked uh, Ted to be a co-host is because I think he's got like a great radio <laughs> voice, a great podcast. Voice. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> Yeah, so let me, real quick, before we get into today's topic, an interview with Kathy and Peter about the Drupal security team, um, a couple things about last episode, uh, other than the fact that Andrew wants to dispose of my body cleanly and not, you know, get captured, <laughs> I guess. Um, 
I do feel the need to, I don't want to make these corrections, but I will say if I was there, I would have chimed in a couple of times. So because I can't help myself, um, I will say we talked about experimental modules in uh, 8.1 and in 8.0 migrate and migrate Drupal are actually marked as experimental. Um, so I think there was, they weren't sure, um, you know, Ted and Andrew and Kelly weren't sure about that. So I want to mention that. I also want to mention, um, oh, because I love it, the Drupal community keynote um, that was voted on um, and Schnitzel is giving the one here in about a month in New Orleans. Uh, there was not a community keynote in Asia and the two that took that um, were given in Los Angeles were not voted on. They were simply selected um, by the... Um, by the uh, community track chairs, I believe, is the case. Do you mean Barcelona? I do mean Barcelona, yes. Not Los Angeles. Wow. <laughs> Good catch on that one. <laughs> you can yeah, and I that. think there is, no, there is no community track, so it was probably just generally the track chairs. Right, right. Um, and I will say Ted did <laughs> a... An okay version of the closing of the Sia closing. I felt it was a little too guttural. Um, I think he, I think he overdid it. He, like he thought about it too much. So I'll have him work on that. <laughs> we'll get back to get back. I've to been him. meaning to ask: Do you say that every time, or do you have a recording? No, I say it every time. I say it every time. So why does it sound like a recording? Does it sound like I say it the same way? It sounds the same way every time. Well, good. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. <laughs> So, so well, maybe you could have just well given Ted a recording, yeah. I could have. I could have just given Ted a snippet, but, you know, I threw him a bone. He's been, he's been dying to do it. Every, every day, he says, Mike, can I please do the sign-off? I'm like, Ted, I don't think you're ready. And uh, you know, <laughs> he took his opportunity and, and ran with it. So, not bad. I give him, like, a, you know, maybe a 6 out of 10 on that one. So, he's got, he's got room to grow on that. All right, so enough about us. Let's talk about uh, uh, the two of you, Kathy and Peter. So, uh, Kathy, for those of, um, of you in the community who have not seen or heard or met Kathy, uh, Kathy, your Drupal.org username is YesCT. It's also your Twitter handle. You are, and did I get the title right? I took a stab at it because I wasn't 100% sure. But Yeah, I'm the, I'm the Drupal community liaison for oh, Black Mesh. I had it exactly right, unless you... Unless you Corrected the rundown. Well, that's not how you spell liaison, but yeah. <laughs> I missed the letter. Okay, very good. Thank you. All right, for Black Mesh. So thank it's you to Black taken Mesh. Me, it's taken me like two years to figure out how to spell liaison. Then, then absolutely you should be correcting me on that. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think we can mention Black Mesh enough and say thank you to them enough for, for you know basically paying you to keep on doing what you've been doing all along. So. That's uh, incredibly uh, yeah. It's by Black pretty Mesh. special. Um, and I do want to mention um, you let us know um, here in the rundown. You actually have an article that is um, out in uh, the PHP Architect magazine about um, yeah. Well, well, why don't you tell us about it? So the upcoming print magazine um, has like a teaser out, which says what the contents are, and my article is the one that's also available online. So even though this is in the upcoming print magazine, you can read it right now. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. It's a link to a very long PDF URL. But it's called How Open Source Strengths Manage Software Vulnerabilities. 
And it talks about how the security team, the Drupal security team functions. And it's super exciting to have um, this in PHP Architect because it's my first non-Drupal publication. And this is the magazine that's going to be in the swag bags for everybody at DrupalCon New Orleans. That's fantastic. And then immediately yep. after DrupalCon New Orleans, I'm going to PHP Tech. And there'll possibly be some people at PHP Tech that may receive the PHP Architect magazine. So it'll be like I have a little pre-introduction to some people. So this is like super good timing for where this. Is, uh, where is PHP Tech? Uh, St. Louis. Oh, okay. And it's... Uh, I forget what it is. It's kind Jimmy. of on your way home. You can just, you know, swing by. Parachute <laughs> out of your plane. <laughs> All right, very good. And Peter, um, you are P. Willannon on Drupal.org. And something I learned, yep. I, I never knew that. Have you all, have, Has your Twitter handle always been what it is right now? Um, yeah, but I don't use Twitter very much. For a while, I actually claimed that it was my secret Twitter handle and, and not for public consumption. All right. Well, your Twitter but, handle's, uh, well, it's not going to be secret anymore because it's hook menu. <laughs> so, yeah. It, it, people already know, but yeah, I don't, I don't tweet, use it that much. But, you know, if, if, if you say something about me, I'll, I'll probably follow up. All right. Uh, very good. And you are, um, and I didn't know if you made up this title or I see you. You've yeah. So I was, out. I was at Acquia. Early enough that we got to make up our own job titles. And so you made up the title of Momentum Specialist. Yes. Which is fantastic. But you are, I guess your other title there is the Principal Cloud Security Engineer for Acquia. Yep. So, so what's your, what, what do you do day to day? It's actually been kind of in transition over the last year as we started to actually form a separate security engineering group. Uh, so I interact a lot still with our, our cloud engineering team that works on Acquia's you know, hosting platform. So that's kind of really the main work is interacting with them on various mm -hmm. initiatives, but also working with our you know, information security people on compliance questions and you know, customers have questions about you know, the platform or package updates or various things. So it's a little broader than just uh, purely the platform engineering I was doing before that. So uh, were you involved in... Uh I just read a couple of days ago that Acqui just got a, I believe it's called ATO. Sometime. Yeah, I was not really involved with that. Okay. that so that's FedRAMP, which okay. uh, Black Mesh has, was the first in the Drupal hosting world uh, to get that. And Acqui is now the second, as far as I know. And that's really much, a lot more about compliance than about the platform, I did do some work on the platform. Mm -hmm. So there are a set of um, sort of server configuration benchmarks that they want you to meet or explain why you're not meeting. Okay. Um, so I did a bunch of work about, you know, adjusting our platform to meet a higher fraction of those and, you know, then document the ones we weren't. Um, and again, it's mostly about compliance and not mm -hmm. actually about security, which is, I don't know if that's a distinction we'll get into. Probably probably not in this podcast. It's a big, a big topic. But right. um was something that came up actually last night at uh, the New York uh, Drupal meetup where I spoke, and David Strauss also talked about platform security, uh, which is a great talk, so you should look for the recording of that when it comes out. Oh, is that New York City? Uh, but Yeah, and the New okay. York City meetup. All right, cool. All right, well, cool. So before we get into the interview, let me real quick uh, mention our sponsor, Linovate. Uh, today's uh, podcast sponsored by Linovate. And as Drupal developers, we build sites for our clients, and then we hand them off and move on to the next project. 
Um, what happens if there's an issue with the site? You know, who does the client call at that point? Um, if you're like me and a lot of Drupal developers, you do not want your phone ringing in the middle of the night if your clients or if a site you previously built goes down. You know, maybe their web host can help them with the issue and maybe they can't. So what happens, you know, when a new, uh, there's a new release of Drupal core that has a security update or, you know, if you're, they're not a current client of yours, are you responsible for getting that security update out to their live server? So as Drupal developers, I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is do we also want to be, to do Drupal support? If you don't, this is where Linovate comes in. Linovate uh, offers 24-7 around-the-clock monitoring and support for open-source technologies with both Drupal and Node.js as their main expertise. They've been a proud member of the Drupal community for over 10 years. That's, you know, around the time of Drupal 4.5. So with that type of track record, they probably, you can probably guess they've got a pretty good idea of what they're doing. As I said, they, mentioned, they offer 24-7 monitoring, 24-7 support, and all of their plans include live telephone support. It doesn't matter where you host your servers. Linovate uh, can provide you with professional on-call and hands-on care that will make sure your site is up and running and secured at all times. If you're a developer, they offer a ref referral fees, and they offer offer they also offer white label services for larger shops. And plans start at five hundred and ninety dollars per month. And you can check them out at linovate.net/sla. Okay, so today we want to talk about the Drupal security team. Peter, uh, you've been on the security team for a long time. Are you one of the original members of the security team? No, definitely not an original member. I okay. joined, I think, in about 2008. So that was, um, it had been around for a few years at that point. Okay, and Kathy, you are, I, tell me if I'm wrong here, but one of the newest members. Yeah, I, I think I became a member in February, a full member in February. And I was a provisional member, I think, in June. So I've been hanging around since June, but hanging around official since February. <laughs> so, Peter, let me ask you this. If you had to explain the Drupal security team to you know, someone who's non-technical, how would you describe what their role is in the community? So it's a good question because I think a lot of people have an overly romantic or overly um, optimistic idea about what the security team is actually doing and able to do. And unfortunately, the, the reality of it is, is a lot of it is pretty mundane. Um, so the security team does not have a super secret bunker uh, that's running 24-7 and we are not all dressed in black and we're not underground, you know, keeping the world safe. Um, that would be fun, but... Uh, that's just not how it works. So actually, everyone on the team is a volunteer. Um, and the biggest uh, responsibility we have is really just to maintain confidentiality. So help people uh, do responsible disclosure and report issues to us and then coordinate those issues. So basically connect the reporters with the core maintainers or the module maintainers that are you know relevant to the issue. Uh, we often help evaluate the issues, sort of take a first pass at them and see if they're valid security issues or just as someone maybe misunderstood something or misconfigured their site or has custom code that uh, isn't something that's sort of generically uh, a problem, but a problem just for their specific site. Um, so then, um, you know, once, you know, once those issues are evaluate, evaluated, once we've connected the reporters and the 
relevant maintainers, there's a process basically of getting patches, you know, prepared um, and ready for release and coordinating the releases. So if that sounds like a lot of what the job is, is coordination, I would say yes, that basically mm. the majority of the job tends to be just coordinating and making sure people talk to each other. And, and uh, I have to say that getting patches ready on a private issue queue is, is even harder, especially for Drupal core than ever getting them ready in a public issue queue. Uh, just because there's so many fewer people that can kind of give their input and, you know, you're sort of feel constantly uh, like there's some risk that you're going to, you know, blow up Drupal by doing something that wasn't sufficiently reviewed by the community. So I think, first of all, I think we can all agree that even if you guys did have an underground security bunker, you couldn't tell us about it. So, well, okay, maybe not. I think we can all assume. We do have. They've hats. We, we have hats, at least. Well, hats are we have almost really as cool, cool as an underground bunker. Blue hats that say Drupal security on them. So, yes, thanks to, thanks to Michael Hats. All right. Well, that, that's not bad. So, it, I was thinking about this um, because you guys, first of all, you did an excellent job basically taking over our rundown. And I'm going to blame, I, I'm, I'm going to credit Kathy for this. Um, <laughs> blame slash credit. All, including all of the wonderful formatting changes, and I'm, I'm not at all anal retentive, so I that that's great. I love that stuff. So we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I don't think did I make formatting changes? There's a couple. It's okay though. I'm I know it's helping me grow as a person. So it's good. <laughs> Between you know last week people wanted me to put me in the ground, and this week my our, our rundowns. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if I've actually you know still have a firm hold on the podcast, but. <laughs> So while I was, you know, I read through all the notes of the rundown that you guys put in, um, lots of great stuff in there. And the one thing that struck me that I, I don't think I've ever thought about before, and maybe Kathy, you can address this. It sounds like that the security team, and I, this is going to sound negative at first, but I absolutely do not mean it in a negative way, but it sounds like the security team is more reactive than proactive. Is, is that a fair statement? Uh, from my point of view, it seems that way. Yeah, because like usually the security team is being contacted by other people who have found what they are concerned might be a security vulnerability. And so the security team themselves are not like scanning all the code and mm -hmm. looking for things. There are some proactive things that the security team does, but it's not via scanning the code. So the security team does uh, education and communication uh, with the community in terms of helping people keep their sites safe and making sure people know how to deal uh, with security issues when they find them. So like, for example, like this podcast would be would fall under that preventative category, I think. So let me jump in and say also, I think people might get the wrong impression sometimes because you'll see a lot, maybe a disproportionate number of the security advisories, you'll see that someone on the security team is in the reported by section. And uh, they, you know, from that might get the, the sense that the team is actually sort of proactively scanning code. But I think what the reality ends up being is that, you know, because we educate ourselves or, you know, have, have become educated in order to join the team, that, that for a lot of us, yeah, we open up a contrib module thing out using and, you know, we scan the code and 10 seconds later, we're like, oh, there it is. That typical thing that we always see was done wrong in this module. There's a you know cross-site scripting vulnerability mm. in the node title, and okay, we need to report it and get that resolved. 
So that's, that's almost just because you guys have been doing it for so long and you've seen so many of these issues, it almost becomes like pattern recognition at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So where do you guys get most of your reports from? I mean, are you getting them from people using, you know, so let's say Drupal users, or are you getting them from you know other developers? Um, like, where do you see most? Well, of the, I can. The... Yeah, go ahead. I can say in general, there are organizations that will perform internal security audits on Drupal if they're thinking about using it or they have been using it, and they will then recognize something and report it. Um, you get things like just contributors that are working on an issue or working on something for a client and they happen to notice something. That's like what Peter was saying about the Mm -hmm. security team happens to do that quite a lot. And then the security team will also be contacted by other open source projects. So another open source project might find a vulnerability and be like, hey, I wonder if this affects Drupal 2. And then they'll confidentially contact Drupal to see, or the other open source project will just release their vulnerability and the security team usually is keeping their eye on things like that. And they'll be like, Hey, that affects us too. So we can find it from other open source projects or, um, Drupal contributors or other organizations. I'm not sure what would be the most common one. What do you think, Peter? Yeah. My experience, I think that just sort of, you know, Develop Drupal developers, uh, really the most common uh, source that you know, someone is using a module and notices a problem. They, you know, happen to put in some strange, you know, unusual input and got a got a bug, or they were trying an autocomplete and trying to test if their end users could access content that was supposed to be private, and they could, and mm-hmm. so they report that as a you know access bypass bug. Those kind of things happen a lot. I think you know the inputs from people doing. Security audits are pretty rare. Uh, some of them have been pretty spectacular, though. That was actually the origin of the SQL injection vulnerability that was found at the end of uh, 2014. Um, the Drupal that, uh, we might mention one. later in the podcast. Right. Yeah, we don't like to call it that. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the, the small, the small um, pothole in the road. That yeah, definitely. Drupal. Yeah, Drupal. SA Core 2014-05. How, yes, about, how about that? Much less. <laughs> nice clinical. <laughs> let's just let's just keep it clinical, all right? <laughs> so didn't we have maybe within the past year? Wasn't there um, a, a core update that was timed to release around the same time, like a WordPress core update, where it was a similar vulnerability? Or am I imagining that? Yes. So there was. A problem. I mean, it barely rose to the level of vulnerability. I think it was more of a denial of service attack okay. in the XML RPC right. code. And well, I was going to even talk about that code um, if we talked about the history of the team. But you know, so actually, the the an earlier vulnerability that was shared across multiple CMSs uh, in XML RPC is probably kind of the origin of the Drupal security team in a way. Um, yeah, let's talk about that. One was, you can dive into that. Absolutely. Okay. Well, well, I was just going to say, so I, yeah, there was a, a coordination basically between the Drupal security team and the WordPress team to, you know, more or less coordinate on a fix. And I, I think we were thought that was more notable for the fact that we coordinated, which we haven't very often than for the fix being particularly uh, serious in this case. 
uh, the the XML RPC vulnerability that really was serious happened uh, quite a long time ago. So that was back in about uh, 2005 or 2004. Um, so I guess the Drupal security team was created in 2005, and I think this XML RPC vulnerability maybe was earlier in 2005. And this was uh, basically a remote code exploit. So basically someone could send any XML RPC command to your site and then execute arbitrary commands on the server. Hmm. So that's, that's about fun. as bad as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so because of that, um, this was a, a case where like CHX came in and rewrote you know, Drupal's whole XML RPC uh, library or, or basically adopted, adapted another library instead of the one that we had been using and really, you know, personally audited every line of it, as far as I understand, and made sure that it didn't have this kind of vulnerability. And it seems WordPress basically adapted, you know, also a variant of the same other library at the same time that didn't have a vulnerability. And so that's what, how we ended up having basically a shared, you know, concern this past year. Um, only ten years later. Um, because, well, because the code base was was you know had some similarities, right? So that that that's that XML RPC code that basically I guess both Drupal and WordPress adopted after this terrible vulnerability was was basically you know more or less the same code um, and had been you know in the code base since then. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is it recommended? And this just popped into my head because I I, I believe I've uh, I, I've seen this or I read this somewhere. But is it recommended that if a Drupal site isn't using, um, isn't providing any services that that XML RPC file re be removed from the code base? Is that like an official uh, recommendation? I would recommend, I don't know if it's an official recommendation. I would say probably at this point it's a best practice. You don't even necessarily have to remove it from the code base. You can just block it in your HTAccess file or in your mm -hmm. vhost file. Um, but, you know, there's fewer and fewer sites that are using XML RPC for anything and there were you know have always been relatively few and right. uh, one of the interesting um, you know even modules that integrated with XML RPC has long been out of core which was blog API if you right. remember that far back <laughs> back in the day uh, yeah back in the day so really it's you know not used very much um, and yeah I would definitely suggest at least blocking that file um, from being accessed if, if your site is not using it because you know, in the worst case, someone can um, just, you know, execute a denial of service attack on your site. Of course, we know that denial of service attacks on Drupal are are pretty easy to do anyhow. But um, this is, uh, you know, why why make an extra avenue available? Right. Yeah, a, a potential vector. Right. So as, you know, as we went through the, the multi-year Drupal 8 effort, and a lot of, I mean, thousands of people were were um, submitting patches and, and getting credit for patches. Is there an is, is there a process by which the security team is keeping an eye on all of those patches? Or, or, I mean, I guess I, I guess the question I'm trying to get at is, you know, how well how well vetted is Drupal 8 for security issues? Or do we just kind of rely on, on, on the idea of, you know, the community review process? So that's a good question. In fact, there was debate about how to basically help validate the security of Drupal 8. And the original plan was actually to bring in basically a company to do a code audit. 
um, independent of you know the volunteers and you know, have them sit down and really go through the whole thing. But instead, actually, what we ended up doing was the Drupal 8 bug bounty. Uh, and I don't know if you followed that, but yeah, um, in fact, a lot of the a lot of the even Drupal 6 and 7 core issues that came out um, before Drupal 8 were released and some issues that are still being worked on now in Drupal 8 that were lower priority came out of that bug bounty. So I think it did, you know, serve serve a purpose to, you know, focus people on on finding vulnerabilities. You know, most of the things they found weren't too severe, but there were some pretty interesting ones, uh, including one, I guess, um, Kathy worked on to actually get the Drupal 8 fix validated and, and released um, not so long ago. Uh, it was one, one of the sort of lower priority ones that we, we didn't get out before Drupal 8 released. Mm. So have there been, uh, for lack of a better word, like security sprints where the, the team gets together and says, okay, let's, you know, we're, we're all at a DrupalCon or a bad camp or a large Drupal event, you know, let's get together and, um, you know, kind of give something, you know, good once over. Has there, have there been any, you know, I guess that falls on the more proactive side, which you kind of already answered, but it seems like that would be something that, you know, while, while everybody else is kind of off doing like a code sprint, are you guys, you know, has there ever been the opportunity for you guys to kind of be there and kind of, you know, I don't want to use the word overseeing, but reviewing code kind of as, you know, as it gets developed in a sprint format. So my experience, at least with security team sprints, have actually been mostly focused on our own tooling. So around things like uh, security.drupal.org, uh, trying to you know, integrate better data from Drupal.org about projects. We you know, notify the right maintainers. Uh, you know, last in Barcelona, we were looking at the bakery module and trying to think about ways we could fix or remove that from Drupal.org. Uh, and also, in, in general, there's usually at least one security meeting at every DrupalCon. But again, those are largely around process and right. also around actually getting people to meet face-to-face because, again, a lot of what the Drupal security team is about is really about having a group of people that can be trusted to keep issues you know, private until mm-hmm. the fix is ready. So, you know, a lot of those meetings are really about building, you know, trust and confidence between the members by getting them to meet face-to-face, which we usually don't have a chance to do. Yeah, so there's another thing that I can think of in terms of, like, the sprinting. Like, Peter mentioned most of it that he's seen has been around, um, like, process and the own internal infrastructure. And I've seen a couple of things like that. Like, I know Michael has has done some work to try and automate some of the scans that were done as part of the project application process. Mm -hmm. And automating that has a side effect of perhaps being also useful for the security team. And I know at MidCamp, Michael was working on the new UI that's going to help people recognize for projects which versions uh, fall under the security team policy, which don't, and then provides a very obvious link to the security policy. Because I think people like misunderstand what it means to have a, a release covered by the security policy. So the UI change and the additional information right in line on the Drupal.org project pages is something that he was sprinting on. Yeah, that's, that's a great segue to kind of where I wanted to go next is, I mean, there are you know, literally thousands of contributed modules out there. 
if you guys get a report about, you know, a module that, you know, maybe only a few hundred people are using, you know, maybe it's like a, a Drupal 7 module that hasn't been touched and, you know, hasn't had a commit in three years. It, does that fall under your jurisdiction, so, so to speak? You know, let's say the maintainer is, is, is nowhere to be found and someone reports a vulnerability. Like, how does that process work for modules that, I don't want to, I don't want to call them dead, but, you know, are relatively unmaintained? So I can, let me talk about that a little. So I think we've, we've definitely had debates about setting a cutoff level for usage of a module, but uh, right now there, there's no policy around that. So the policy is really around whether or not the module has a 1.0 or higher release. So that, I think, was under... Heine really set that policy uh, to say that we're you know, absolutely not going to cover anything, you know, alpha, beta, even RC. You know, we're not going to cover that until you've you know, had the personal confidence to label it 1.0. Uh, it doesn't get uh, security advisories. And... We can maybe come back to that topic because that also feeds a little bit into the module review process and debates about whether maybe the module review process should focus around the transition to a 1.0 for a module instead of, uh, you know, transitioning to letting people have the module in the first place. Uh, so, but just to summarize right now, if if a module, you know, is basically has a 1.0 release, uh, we will, su- you know, support it with security advisories, which means basically taking a report and keeping it private as a responsible disclosure uh, and, you know, working with the maintainer to get uh, to a security advisory. Now, if the maintainer is nowhere to be found, the maintainer, you know, doesn't show up uh, for a period of time, despite repeated attempts to engage them, security team will actually go ahead and issue a security advisory where they mark the module as unmaintained and un, basically unsupported and insecure. Mm-hmm. And if you look around Drupal.org, you'll see modules where someone, you know, has put this huge nasty red banner on the on the project <laughs> page basically saying this is a insecure and unsupported module uh it has no insecurity vulnerabilities if you would like to take it over contact the security team uh so that's what happens if the maintainer doesn't show up so that's you know if there's a module that you know is essentially abandoned um that's that's where it ends up uh with a security advisory saying you know stop using this module or take it over um uh, and and again, you know, so things like a beta or RC, if we get a security report for those, we will post them publicly. You know, so basically say this module, because it's not officially released, uh, we're not going to keep those vulnerabilities private, and let's go ahead and post them in the public issue for the module. And it's possible still to flag a module release as a security release, uh, but it won't get a security advisory, and that that issue will have been public up until the point of the module release. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and I know that there's, I mean, there's some, there's at least one that I can think of off the top of my head, I don't want to mention, but it's it's a very well-used module that has, you know, it's never had an official release. Or maybe it has, but I know that the current version has been in beta for, you know, let's say a year or, or something like that. Oh, yeah, there's Drupal 7 modules that have been, you know, beta for, you know, four years. I mean, so should people be leery of those modules because they may not be secure or they may not, you know, because they don't have an official release? I, I know well, I don't think you're saying that they're, that you guys aren't going to pay attention to those, but... So if if you have a, a module that doesn't have a full release yet mm-hmm. and you want to know if it has any security problems, then your best bet is probably to search the public issue queue That's and true. put in, like security tag or security improvement tag and see if there are any issues with that tag. So okay. like you don't have to like 
wonder exactly. You can be like, hmm, you know, this is a beta. Let me look and see what security issues there are. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the other thing this, you know, maybe speaks to, you know, the challenges of being a module maintainer and, you know, ways the community needs to help support people to get those modules to official releases. Because if it's been, you know, if there's 10,000 sites using it, but it's still in beta, that seems like a real disconnect that there's not enough support coming back to the maintainer to help them get it over their whatever finish line they personally feel is necessary to call it a 1.0. Right. Or maybe they don't want to make the commitment, time commitment of maintaining it that they feel a 1.0 implies. Yeah, and getting the official release out and that kind of, you know, I, I know for some module developers that, that will make it real and lead to, you know, the fact that they'll need to spend a little bit more time, maintain, you know, maintaining and responding to, to that module. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let me, uh, let, let's start wrapping things up here. Um, uh, a couple uh, final questions here. And you guys have one thing in the rundown, and I, I'm a little bit confused by it, so I'm just going to ask the question. Um, SA numbering, or security advisory uh, numbering. It's separate for core and contrib. And to be honest, I'm one of those users who I'm on the, the security team mailing list, the external one where you guys obviously post the, uh, the security advisories. I, I don't know if I ever pay attention to the numbers or not. I don't think I do. I just pay attention to the fact that there is a security advisory and it affects either this module or this version of Drupal core. I yeah. guess at some point in the past, it was all kind of one big numbering scheme and that's since split. Yeah, I you know kind of thought this might be an interesting bit of history because uh, the first official security advisory was in two thousand five, uh, and it's also you know the year the the team was officially you know uh, put together with uh, CHX as the first uh, security team lead, and up until the end of two thousand eight, there was just a you know continuous stream of security advisories, and those combined uh, contributed modules as well as Drupal core. And no one really in the Drupal community cared, as you don't, as you say yourself, you don't care, right? You just look at it and see what it says. Uh, but what we actually found was that people outside the Drupal community uh, were misinterpreting it. So it was basically a public relations problem. So they would see that there was a security advisory and not not really pay attention to the fact that it might be in a contributed module that they are not using, but they see that, oh, here's another one, here's another one, here's another one. So it appears. Well, or even more generally, they would say, oh, look, in the last three years, there's been 100 security advisories for Drupal. Oh, okay. Well, now, you know, three of them were for Drupal Core and 97 of them were for Contrib. Right. But they would, you know, lump them all together and basically use it as a hammer to you know, beat on <laughs> Drupal as being insecure. Um, and this was actually particularly uh, interestingly was a problem uh, that was noticed. So, I looked back in my, my email uh, on the security team email list and found, found in 2008 the proposal for this and that someone on the Drupal development mailing list, which, uh, you know, I might still belong to it, but I haven't looked at it. I mean, it became such, I mean, back at, back at that point in 2008, you know, there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of signal and not too much noise. So everyone read it. Uh, you know, at this point, I think we just all use the issue queues because there's so many different things going on. Uh, but you know, back at that point, someone you know had commented that they were, you know, working on trying to on a project to potentially you know use Drupal for a U.S. government site, and that basically uh, they got you know pushback, and the project was stopped because someone said, "Well, there's you know too many security advisors for Drupal, and clearly it's you know not, not of sufficient quality 
uh, if they have this many security advisories to be used for an official site. And so we got a proposal from uh, Derek Wright, who was um, you know, a lot more active at that time in, in, in the community, and suggesting that we split, split that numbering um, just so that we could you know, make it a lot more clear the, you know, the scope of you know, security issues found in Drupal core, which tends to be relatively low. Um, and, you know, as opposed to the, as we talked about before, basically any module with a 1.0 release may get a security advisory. And there are, you know, thousands and thousands of modules. And if even a small fraction of them have a, a one security advisory in a year, that's going to end up to, you know, tens or hundreds of security advisors over the course of the year. Right. So, um, so we ended up, you know, in the start of 2009, splitting that numbering between core and contrib just again, as a, really as a public relations measure, but I think, you know, you might in a way say it might've been successful because you'll recall that whitehouse.gov launched on Drupal, uh, towards the end of 2009. Where do we, I mean, and I don't know if this is fair to, to ask this question, not of you guys, but just in general, but as far as other large open source projects go, are are we issuing about the same number of security advisories, more or less, or where do we kind of fall relative to other, you know, large open source uh, projects? I think that's a really hard question. So for example, for something like the Linux kernel, as far as I understand, they don't actually even issue security advisories. They just have bugs that they fix. And then they leave it to sort of downstream consumers to decide if it was a security issue or if someone um, <laughs> files a CVE, right? So they just they just have lots and lots of bug fixes. Um, uh, you know, and other projects, you know, are not very good at disclosing them at all um, and really kind of, you know, just roll them in with, with their other release notes. So I think, you know, I do feel like the Drupal project is very good about being transparent when we have something that we think is a security vulnerability of labeling it as such. And that was also actually a move. I don't have the, the date offhand, but if, uh, you know, a few years ago now to split core releases between security only releases right. and bug fix releases, right? So that we could, again, make it very clear to people, you know, when there's a security issue and when they need to urgent, you know, relatively urgently upgrade versus a bug fix release, which they, you know, could take, you know, weeks to consider whether or not, uh, or well, they should take the upgrade, but they could take, you know, a few weeks to QA it without feeling any great sense of urgency. The way our team is structured and the way our team operates is, um, have we modeled our team on another open source project or has it just evolved over time? I don't know of any real model other than, you know, sort of a general process, right, right. that the team is going to take things that are responsibly disclosed and keep them confidential and have some sort of targets for how quickly we get the releases out and, uh, you know, communicate privately and, you know, potentially bring in experts when needed. But those are sort of, I don't feel like there's a real, you know, published model out there. I mean, is our team, um, you know, is our team a model for other open source projects? I'm just trying to figure out like where, if we had to look at, uh, you know, open source projects in general, you know, and, you know I'm, I'll just say it. Where do we rank our security team? Are we doing things, you know, better than everyone else? About the same as everyone else? Are we behind a little bit? I mean, do you have a feel for that at all, or an opinion? Let's say an opinion. It's a better word. My opinion would be that we're doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, but I, 
you know, I, I think there's definitely ways that, you know, people on the team, you know, always feel like we could be doing better. Right. Uh, and, and I think, you know, maybe Kathy is going to want to talk about the, the process of joining the team. And I think the team is always looking for people to join and help. And as I said at the beginning, the, the biggest part of the work is actually coordination, which is really not, um, you know, sort of the, the most you know, glamorous work. Um, right. but it's, you know, things that basically we have to have people that are both technically capable and, and trustworthy, you know, and available to coordinate with the team and, and all these things and to find, you know, those subset of people that are willing to, you know, give their time and meet the criteria, uh, is pretty hard. So, um, I would definitely encourage, you know, people to join and we need, you know, people that are willing to help sort of just manage, manage the issue queue and do those kind of things as well as actually, you know, getting it at all technical on the issues. Yeah. The issue queue, as I've seen it, the private one has very similar needs as the public issue queue. So, you know, if you go and you find an issue in the public issue queue, you might find some initial information and a couple of patches and a couple of reviews. So there's like work started on it, mm-hmm. but then it needs somebody to like, own it, Carry right? The ball. Who's gonna yeah. who's gonna who's gonna look after this issue and just always be figuring out like what's the next blocking thing? All right, great. Now who's gonna do that? Can I do it myself? You know, who can I ask to do that? And so the private security issue queue needs that same kind of, of thing. So Kathy, you're since you're the newest member of the team, how and when did you get like your secret invite to the bunker? How does that work? And, and <laughs> how many funny. people, how many security team members can fit in the bunker at any one time as well? That's just a follow up question. <laughs> the alleged bunker, the alleged bunker. Thank you, Anna. Keeping me honest. I, the alleged bunker. I think right now we are almost 40 people, uh, but people have different roles, some of which are active week to week, and other ones are part of the team to be called on as necessary in rare circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you want to keep their connections or their expertise around. So there are a lot of people, but some of them are active and some of them aren't. So say, say I think what happened. Yeah. So okay. I think what happened for me is I've been working on core for a long time and also working on Drupal.org because as part of mentoring, you know, um, part of my responsibilities was to like remove barriers to contribution. And sometimes that meant improving Drupal.org. So I got to know Peter by working on Drupal 8 core stuff. And I got to know Michael Hess by working on infrastructure stuff. And I guess I just kind of said it out loud one day. I was like, hey, I would like to start working on security issues. And because I've had a long-term working history with people who are already on the security team, they kind of vouched for me. You're a known that, quality in the community. Right. So Yeah, and let me just interject that that's, you know, having seen people apply to the team, that's actually probably the most important criteria is to have someone already or preferably more than one person already on the team willing to vouch for you. And then there, if, if you don't have that, like technically, um, we'll put a link in the show notes for how to join the security team, but you have to have your get vetted user role, which means that you can make full projects. 
Um, and in order to help provide like some context, when you uh, send an email to apply to the team, um, you can provide a list of security issues that you've worked on. Uh, and then people want to know like what your commitment is and you have to read the statement, which says, you know, you're going to keep things confidential and you're going to follow all the team procedures and then just say what you might bring to the team. Like what's your special skill set? How can you help the team out? So you send in an email and you get vetted by some other people and then you're a provisional a security team member. So while I was provisional, I had limited access to the private uh, security issue queue. And uh, sometimes people would be like, oh, this is a Drupal 8 issue. Let's add Kathy to it because Kathy has experience with Drupal 8. But mm-hmm. like if a Drupal 7 or 6 thing came up, I didn't see it. I would never know it's there unless it was somehow seemed relevant for people to add me because I was provisional, I could only see things where I was kind of like tagged to be active in them. And I worked on a couple of things and then I helped with security release that was in February. And then they were like, good job. (laughs) So, I mean, would you say that, you know, if someone's interested in in joining the security team, the kind of their first step would to be make sure that they're active enough either in, in, you know, in the contributor module um, in a contributor module issue queue or the core issue queue uh, to the point where, you know, someone can kind of go in and check and, and see what they've been what they've been up to and what kind of issues they're working on. Is, is that a good first well, step? Well, I guess, I guess first step, I would say, you know, go ahead and apply to the security team because that sets all of those people aware that there's somebody interested in joining. And the feedback that comes from the security team might be like, we want you to do these things first, but when the security team knows that you're interested, they can kind of help you along in public, right? And help you get experience. Whereas like sending you off to like get experience on your own, like sure, that that's nice too. But I, I think it helps for other people to know that it's a goal of yours. Right. And then you can get some help without technically being provisional or anything. You- so, so they could point you to, you know, possibly point you to a, uh, you know, a beta version of a module that has, you know, some potential security issues and say, go work on that in public and re- let's see what you can do type of thing. I don't know. What do you think, Peter? I think that's a great yeah, idea. I, I think you guys should do that. I think you guys should, should you know. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, but as Kathy said, you know, there, there should have be a threshold also, like you should be, you know, get vetted yeah. member of Drupal.org. So if you, you know, you haven't done that, you should go and you know, be working on that. I think also just connecting with people at actual, you know, in-person events at Drupal cons or things. And, you know, just even, I think uh, making well, those connections gives people a lot more confidence in kind of bringing you on than... You know, a, a someone who's just on the other end of an email could be anyone, right? Right, right. So let me ask one more question, that then we'll then we'll we'll, we'll move on to the to uh, the next part of the podcast here. What's the? You guys mentioned you have about forty members right now. Are you are you starved for members? Like, what's the ideal size of uh, of the security team, or how many active members of the security team would be a good number for a project uh, of, of the size of Drupal? I I think we definitely could use substantially more active people. I mean, I think the 
the number who are active on a regular basis is is you know probably ten or twelve on right. a day to day basis, mm-hmm. and that list includes every uh, one of the core contributors. So or uh, core the, committers. I mean, yeah, the core committers. Uh, so core committers automatically get added to the security team. Actually, that's a that's a secret route on the security team. If you really you know, a hardcore. Uh, <laughs> the, easy, easy <laughs> the easy way. <laughs> All right. um, cool. But yeah, we need. We definitely need more. So don't. Uh, th- that's that's not the issue. But I think the hard part is, you know, again, developing that level of trust where we feel like we could just, you know, let you loose with all of the open security issues in every Drupal project and in Drupal core, and that you're, you know, going to handle that responsibly. All right, very good. And on that note, let me... Um... <laughs> no pressure, right, Peter? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> actually, the good, the good news is that usually most of them are really, like, dumb and not that important. So it's actually not that much pressure. But, you know, every once in a while, <laughs> there's a juicy. There you go. <laughs> All right. So let me, um, let's move on uh, um, to some Drupal Easy news here for a minute. I know you guys are going to stick around for the rest of the podcast. So... Uh, let me just mention a couple things. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Ted Bowman and myself, uh, Ted from Six Mile Tech, and of course uh, myself from Drupal Easy, we have teamed up uh, to write um, a full day uh, training workshop for introduction to Drupal 8 module development. Uh, Ted actually presented it for the first time at uh, Peter Camp that, that you know uh, you know and love, uh, the, uh, Drupal Camp New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're pleased that it got accepted at DrupalCon New Orleans as one of the official uh, workshops there. So if you feel that you are up for spending an entire day with Ted and I, um, and you should be so lucky, <laughs> let me just say that, by all means, you should check out um, our Introduction to Drupal 8 Module Development Workshop in New Orleans. It's the Monday of DrupalCon week. You can go to DrupalCon.org to sign up for it. Um, the workshop, we've gotten some really good reception um, uh, uh, f- uh, for it. Um, I'll be teaching it uh, once more prior to the uh, to DrupalCon New Orleans. It's very heavy on hands-on examples. We have three um, hands-on examples that students do. Um, we utilize Drupal Console for scaffolding and for, for some other tasks. It's really we really designed it with you know real world examples and real use cases um, in mind, and we've gotten some great feedback for it. So definitely check it out if you're going to DrupalCon and you want to kind of uh, kickstart your way into Drupal eight module development. Um, let me also quickly mention um, I've been busy. I've been I've been writing um, uh, a lot on uh, the new DrupalEasy.com site. Um, so I've got some articles on there about inv- enabling development mode on local Drupal 8 sites. I have uh, the first of two articles posted about Drupal 6 to 8 custom content migration. Um, the first one that's up there is basically a configuration-only migration. So there's no PHP involved. It's just basically creating a YAML file and, and running a custom content migration that way. Um, with Drupal 8.1 coming out, things are going to change a little bit, so I'm going to have to update those blog posts or this blog post and, and the second one that I'm working on right now. But a, a lot of people have asked me about uh, how do I do a custom content migration of you know if I don't want to suck in the entire Drupal 6 site to a Drupal 8 site, I just want to do you know I want to do it piecemeal. Um, how do I do it? Um, this blog post is is a good introduction to the topic. 
Um, and then a couple other quick tips on uh, checking for the existence of a field value in Twig. And, and then a, a news article about kind of a recap of Florida Drupal Camp uh, wins and losses. Um, I'm one of the organizers of Florida Drupal Camp, and I like to write a, a blog post, you know, uh, a very inward-facing blog post and, and look at what we did right and what we did wrong in hopes of helping uh, other camp organizers. Um, so you can check out all of those. And actually, one that's not even on here I posted this morning is a, a screencast on the Drupal 8 group module. Um, I actually worked with the module maintainer on, on making sure I fully understood, you know, how the module is architected. I, I put together um, it's over a half hour screencast on using the group module. Um, really interesting module. I think a lot of people are going to be looking at this module uh, because there's, as of right now, there's not a whole lot of momentum to get organic groups upgraded to Drupal eight, and the group module might um, might be able to fill that void. All right, let's move on to three stories. Um, our three news, news stories this week, stories that uh, we feel um, the Drupal community should be paying attention to. Uh, the first one is from Drupal.org. I thought this was really interesting. Um, it, it's basically a, a quick uh, analysis of the top 10 contributing customers. For those of you who, who listen to the podcast and, and follow along on Drupal.org, uh, the Drupal.org marketplace was recently, there's a change, actually it was probably late last year that this happened. Companies listed in the marketplace used to be ordered alphabetically. Uh, this was changed uh, late last year, so they were ordered by commit credit for the last 90 days. And not surprisingly, uh, Peter, your company, Acquia, um, was at the top of that list. Um, you know, with Acquia's, you know, deep support for the, the core project, I don't think that was really a surprise to anybody. Um, what Josh uh, did in this blog post, though, is really interesting, is he kind of took out all of the Drupal shops from that list. He took out all, you know, any of the organizations who made their money from selling Drupal services and instead looked at the customers, people who were paying for Drupal services. And it was really interesting who are, you know, the most active of these um, contributing uh, customers on Drupal.org. Uh, and I'll just I'll read the uh, the list real quick here. Uh, Examiner.com is uh, in the top spot, followed by Pfizer, and then Freetag. I'm not sure what kind of organization Freetag is. Uh, the Drupal Ukraine community. I thought that was kind of cool. Number five. I'm not sure. It's uh, it's Art G E I E. I'm not sure what that is. Followed by University of Waterloo, Card.com, Humente, uh, Venlo. Um, Dennis Publishing, and in number 10, NBC Universal. So I thought that was, uh, again, super interesting that we were able to um, pull that data out. Uh, let me just throw it to you guys so I don't you know, talk for the next 20 minutes. But you know, so uh, Anna, Kathy, Peter, any, any comments or any thoughts on, on this? Well, people were asking for this because like, it, you could have an organization on Drupal.org like a big university and maybe you work for that university and you might be crediting uh, your comments and your work on issues to them, but because they weren't in the marketplace, because they didn't offer Drupal oh, services okay. outside, they weren't showing up on that list. And so it's nice to have a list of all organizations, whether or not you provide a Drupal service. Is there going to be a list, that type of list, uh, in a permanent place somewhere? 
Oh, yes. Okay. Last week, we launched a new list of organizations. Yeah, but that list of organizations includes the same people who are also in the marketplace. Okay. So it's better. We're getting there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think, filtering. you know, that's a common theme that we get on, on, on Drupal.org in the last year, two years, is, you know, they're doing a lot of iterative improvements. So they're always doing a little bit better. And this yeah. is another example of that. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like the, the past year or so, it's, it's been a constant, you know, monthly stream of, uh, of little improvements that have really, if you look at it, the delta between a year from now and I mean, a year ago and now it's, it's really, you know, quite, quite amazing. Yeah. The issue credits themselves, if we had waited for that UI and that system to be perfect, we would still be waiting for it. Right. I mean, there's still bugs open against the, the issue credit system that we want to fix, but it was really good to just, you know, keep making these small improvements. I think that's much better. Yeah, and it's, and it's great that we've been collecting data for as long as we have, because the more data we have, the more valuable that's going to be. Mm-hmm. So, All right, very good. Um, next story, a blog. I, oh, yeah, good, Peter. I just wanted to say also for those, I, I think it, it shows sort of the power of, you know, organizations starting to... Well, two things, both hire Drupal contributors uh, even to contribute directly or um, also the power of our, our local communities because, you know, some of those organizations like um, Pfizer and NBCU have people in the New Jersey, New York area that I feel like have really, you know, come become, you know, better and better Drupal experts over the years through their interaction with the community and now really contribute back. Uh, and so they're... Yeah, their employee, they maybe got their job because of that, but also their employers benefit by getting this publicity. Um, so I think, you know, we can, we can see sort of a, a virtuous feedback cycle here of, of, of employers hiring people from the community and, and those, you know, people from the community then helping the employers raise their profile. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, you know, I, I think that as long as employer and, and the, the, the key to all of this is that employers understand the value of that. Yeah. As long as I'm, I'm, the employers understand the value, then I think that 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 system works. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Um, next story: uh, a blog post from uh, Dries, uh, the project leader of Drupal, talking about kind of continuing his theme on. Um, I feel it continues the theme of the whole front end decoupling and just talking about Drupal's front end. He posted uh, a blog post about examples of how to make Drupal outside side in. And this is something we hear about a lot, especially when there's usability testing done on the, the Drupal uh, administrative area, um, where somebody wants to add something to Drupal. And as site builders, you know, they, they would have to understand how Drupal's put together in order to make that happen. They would have to understand that, well, first I have to create a, you know, if I want to create a page with a list of movies, the first thing I have to do is go and create this thing called a content type and add fields and, and understand that part of it. And then, and then we could add content. And then I'd have to go create this thing called a view. Um, and so in that case, you're kind of starting at the most granular level and building outward. What Dries is talking about in this blog post is what would a user interface look like where we approach it from the opposite direction, where we say we want a new page that lists movies. What are the steps to do that? Working from, you know, the page first, and then and then the list, and then the things in the list, and then how do you describe each thing in the list? 
I think Dries is really doing a nice job of kind of setting the table of kind of the thought process and illustrating the differences between how the Drupal admin interface currently works and how it could work if you know we as a community adopt some of these principles. Um, and and I know you do a lot of site building. Um, you know, how, how do you feel about you know th- these types of concepts? Is, is this something that, as a site builder, that you're you're welcoming, or does it kind of give you pause at all? It definitely gives me pause because a lot of the sites that I build. Um, the content editors aren't really worried about blocks or necessarily even organizing menu items. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to get into their content. So they're not necessarily worried about, well, can I, I have this new block that I want to position and I want to give it this crazy context uh, that it only shows up for user X when they're on page Y um, and they just visited item C. Like, so it, it, I'm worried that we're getting to a point where we're trying to make things so easy for the site builders that we forget about the content editors. I actually heard, I was talking to someone else about this um, a day or two after the, the blog post was posted. And, you know, as someone who, who wasn't as involved in Drupal as I am, but they're familiar with, with Drupal and how it works. And their instinct was that it sounds like that it's it's the dumbing down of the Drupal interface of the admin interface. I mean, I'm not sure how fair that is, but I mean, I guess can you see where where, where an opinion like that is coming from? Because rather than because you know, as, as Drupal site builders, we've kind of pro, you know been at least I am. I'm proud that it's. I mean, it's a very robust tool, and we can model you know different you know data structures. Um, very well within Drupal, a lot better than other content management systems can do. And if we adopt kind of this outside-in approach, do we risk losing some of that flexibility? I think from a UI perspective, we definitely do. And then so we it starts dropping off so that um, site builders might need to start defining more of the more complex things in code and not exposing a UI uh, necessarily. Um, I, I think the comments of that blog post are really great. I, I read through that a bit more um, than I read the actual article, honestly. Um, I, I think we can do it, but it needs to be done well. And we need to kind of think about what makes Drupal Drupal um, and kind of figure out what the next uh, the next steps are. And whether that's, one, whether that's something we want to pursue. And then one of my biggest um, questions is who's going to do the work? Do we have people in the Drupal community that are willing to volunteer those skills and that time to do such a major overhaul? Mm. Um, because I know a lot of us are, and I say us, I wasn't even that really that involved, but um, with all of the, the major changes that went into Drupal 8, like I think some people might, might be tired of it and want to take a step back and want to be able to work with all these awesome tools um, rather than having to figure out, oh, well, what's the next new shiny thing that we want to do? I mean, do you think Dries is playing the long game here where Drupal 8 was so much about getting a robust backend in with, with Symfony and all these great improvements you know, for developers? Could Dries kind of be playing the long game and, and thinking a year or two out that once we start thinking about Drupal 9, maybe... You know, this type of seismic shift in the in the admin UI is, w- would be kind of our big signature feature for Drupal nine. Well, I think at this point we would we would still be catching up to uh, Squarespace and sites like that, where the sites mm-hmm. you can build are a bit simplified, but the admin interface is nice and pretty. Um, 
that being said, I do hope, you know, we didn't lean at least somebody thinking two years ahead, five years ahead. Yeah. Because what we start on the road to Drupal 9 with is what we're going to be stuck with in 2020. Um, and that might not be what we want. And maybe our development cycle will change. And so it'll be, you know, 2018 and then we'll start, you know, more, more incremental shifts rather than such a seismic change the way Drupal 8 was. I, I think we can all agree that that development cycle didn't work uh, for multiple <laughs> reasons. Right, right. All right. Well, I mean, it, it, it's a great discussion. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, Dries is, this is kind of Dries at his best. This is what I think, you know, Dries excels at is kind of driving conversation on, on big topics. And as you said, I, I, I totally forgot. Um, yeah, the comment stream on that is, is, is pretty good. Um, so definitely check that. Yeah, it is. I think some of the big picture, should we make these big changes posts that come out? go over a little bit better if they included a section that looked back at previous accomplishments so that people could be like, wow, look at all this great stuff that we've done for the content authoring experience already in Drupal 8. And this is the next thing. And when you leave off looking at all of the accomplishments that you've already done, I think uh, makes people sad. And so I would, I would like to see some more of like, look at all of this stuff we've already done for authoring experience. Wouldn't it be great if we did this other thing and here's some ideas and, you know, let's get people talking about it. And, you know, I think we're missing that part where we look at what we've accomplished already. Yeah. And clearly that's not a technical issue. That's, that's, you know, a, a, a very right brained, um, Market, well, I guess marketing or, or emotional issue. Well, I mean, it is a technical issue. If, if you phrase a call to action in mm-hmm. a way that alienates the people who would contribute to it, then you are limiting your pool of technical people. Right. Okay. Well, yes, it, it, it's a, it's an issue that definitely has, it could have, it has te- technical implications. Yes. I was yeah. going to use the word fallout, but no, I agree completely. Yeah. 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 All right, cool. So let's. Um, I'm going to move on to the next story, uh, real quick. Just uh, this podcast is, is going on a little bit uh, longer. Well, I shouldn't say that. They always go on for a long time. But um, <laughs> let me uh, mention two more. I'm going to combine uh, our third story. It's going to be two uh, quick hits here. Uh, I know that um, Ted and Andrew and Kelly uh, and our guest Jeff talked about this briefly last uh, podcast, but. Uh, Drupal 8.1 release candidate has been released. So you definitely want to check that out. We'll have a link in the show notes if you need it. I suspect you will not need it. And uh, just this morning, as we record this, uh, the schedule for DrupalCon New Orleans has been released. So definitely, if you are planning on going to New Orleans, definitely head over to the website. And if you're logged in, you can start, you know, favoriting sessions and kind of setting your schedule. Um, so definitely check that out as well. All right, let's move on to picks of the week. Kathy, as our guest, you are up first. All right. So, uh, I, uh, didn't pick this, but I did read the article. Um, and it's Jeff Gearling's article on, uh, looking at the performance of Drupal 8 compared to the performance of Drupal 7. And, uh, Jeff, I know of, Jeff, uh, he kind of sort of lives in the Midwest, um, and also 
um, runs the Drupal VM project on GitHub. Uh, and I find I recommend that to people uh, quite often because I know Jeff responds to issues in that GitHub issue queue. So anyway, I have been following his work on some stuff. And I, I read this article and I thought to myself, I don't know enough about all of the performance caveats to know whether or not Jeff is right. But I am impressed that he is thinking about things in a complex way and not just doing some out-of-the-box benchmarking. So I like that he's looking at all the different ways and trying to figure out, is this a real comparison? And once he looks at the data, he's like, you know, what, what does this really mean? And so I like the thoughtful way he's approaching this. Uh, and it's, it's good to see him uh, investigating this complex topic. Okay, very good. So we'll have a link to his uh, post in the show notes. And Peter, you want to go next? Sure. So my pick, um, the really pick is maybe more the topic than the specific article was uh, an article in Forbes.com uh, talking about the Panama Papers breach. And what's interesting is that the uh, law firm that was breached used actually both WordPress and Drupal and specifically used Drupal for their a client portal, which probably had most of the private information. And it looked like their Drupal install was something like two and a half years out of date. They'd never just kept the most basic, you know, process of uh, updating Drupal. And so they may well have still been vulnerable to that uh, SQL injection from 2014. And, or they were vulnerable to it. And, you know, someone installed a backdoor back then and then came back to take all the data out. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I just in general thought it was an interesting article from that standpoint that that it reminds you that you know even companies that are supposedly you know focused on uh, securing their customer data and you know trying to put themselves out there as a reputation for for discretion you know can fall down these most basic tasks of just keeping keeping their their site up to date and that that's uh, really since uh, Greg uh, Nadison published Cracking Drupal I mean that's the lesson of chapter one of that book is. You need to keep your web applications up to date all the time or you will get hacked. Yeah, it's just a matter. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Yep. Right. All right. Very good. Um, Anna. So as a counterpoint to that, where uh, Forbes was saying, hey, the customer portal uh, runs on an earlier version of Drupal, I just came across this article on Twitter um, a couple minutes ago about how there's also their WordPress site was their main site. And it also had a pretty major vulnerability um, for on a like image slider plugin where if you knew what you're doing, because again, it was out of date, hadn't been updated, had a public vulnerability that um, you would be able to execute some code and actually be able to like run commands on the server. And there's that's it's a really detailed article uh, written up by WordFence. Oh, very interesting. Okay. You have a and then yeah. right, and then so my my actual pick of the week uh, <laughs> is the uh, State of Drupal 2016 survey that launched yesterday, I believe. Um, it's uh, another Dries blog post. Uh, he's got a survey up, and uh, please go fill out the survey. Um, you can win a trip to a uh, ticket to DrupalCon. Um, and the results will be shared in New Orleans. All right. Very good. And thank you very much for that. 
And uh, so my pick of the week, I mentioned it earlier, and I'm going to mention it again real quick, is the group module for Drupal 8. And if you want to know about it, just go to DrupalEasy.com, and um, there is a new screencast posted there. Um, Really, really interesting module. The one thing that kind of um, I really liked about it is the fact that groups are their own entity. So groups are not nodes. Um, So I thought that, but they are fieldable entities, but they're their own thing. Um, and a relationship between a group and, you know, a node that belongs to that group or a user that belongs to that group, um, the relationship is actually defined by another fieldable entity. So if you're familiar with the relation module from Drupal 7, where the uh, relationships are fieldable entities, the same concept is there in the group module, which it's there if you need it. You don't need to use, you know, you're not forced to, you know, add fields to relationships if you don't want but um, if you do add fields to the relationship um, or if you need that functionality, it's there and it's, it, it looks to be um, you know, pretty solid so far. It's only alpha two, but it was remarkably solid in, in my testing and, and um, you'll see on the screencast as well. So check that out. Upcoming events. Uh, Drupal Delphia is coming up uh, this weekend, as a matter of fact. So I'm not sure if we'll get the podcast out in time for it. Um, if not, I hope you had a great time. <laughs> and Kathy, <laughs> it looks like you are going overseas, which I'm uh, a bit jealous about. You're going to be somewhere in just a couple weeks. Yep, just a couple weeks. Uh, so I'm going to Drupal Camp Spain. I've been there the last two years, uh, and I find it to be um, a very engaging and relaxing event. And I love going places where I can speak Spanish. And this year I'm taking my oldest uh, kid with me. Uh, so oh, that'll be super cool. cool. Excellent. And DrupalCon New Orleans, I think uh, the four of us will all be there. Is, Peter, is that? I'm, I'm assuming you'll be there? Uh, yeah, I have a talk there. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you, 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 you'll definitely be there. I better be. Better be there, yeah. Oh, there it is. I see it in the rundown now. Okay, fantastic. Uh, what's what's the title of your talk, Peter? So this is kind of a, a, a mashed up title from two previous talks, thanks to, to Kathy's input, which is Drupal 8. <laughs> Where did the code go from info hook to plugin? <laughs> oh, okay, cool, cool. That's actually a bi- that, that's a big part of um, our module development class. Is you know we have we have yep. the class is just so focused on plugins because we're looking at things and saying you know the majority of custom modules you know people who write custom modules for clients I, we think are going to end up being plugins. So, and once you get plugins, yeah, definitely the, the door kind of you know opens up wide for you. And Kathy, uh, you're involved with DrupalCon New Orleans in core, conversa- core conversations. Uh, yeah, so we'll have a link in the show notes that uh, will go directly to all of the core conversations. Um, they're not all technical in nature, and uh, so um, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen. We've got um, Dave Reed talking about contrib burnout. Um, David Hernandez is talking about whether or not we should be trying to grow the size of our contributors or whether or not we should be focusing our efforts uh, on the contributors that we already have. I don't think we uh, want so to grow the to- size of our contributors. That sounds unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> we do a pretty good job of that without like encouraging it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Uh, Stephanie Elahage is going to talk about volunteer retainment. And her talk is so funny and really polished and uh, really on point. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, of course, Dries is going to do his retrospective. And um, David Wong Eatings is going to talk about uh, why people leave Drupal and what they leave Drupal for. So there's a significant number of talks in the core conversation track, which uh, I think are conversations that we really want to have. So I'm looking forward to that. Fantastic. And finally, you're going to be... Well, um, so hold on a second. So I do have to mention in terms of New Orleans, uh, Ryan is the site building track chair. Yes, our own Ryan, Ryan Price. Yes, and I know uh, all of the track chairs have been putting in a lot of work into making sure that we have really good sessions. So definitely check those out. Yes, I was actually just I went I had a little bit of time this morning. I didn't get through the entire schedule, but I started I started favoriting some uh, some sessions for sure. So they really need to have two different types of favorites. One, I want to be there. The other one, hey, I want to make sure to catch this on video later. Yeah, that's yeah. not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely there's definitely time slots where I'm like, oh, three sessions? How oh, that's not possible for one person. Okay, so and Kathy, finally, you're going up north in uh, in June, and you're keynoting in Montreal. Yes, I am. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be pretty cool. And what are you going to be uh, keynoting on? What's your topic there? I have no idea. Fant- so you will be taking suggestions via Twitter at YesCT. <laughs> so, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's wrap. Well, we still have five questions, but let's uh, – so real quick, um, Anna, where can people find you online? I am a Colada, AnnaColada.com. All right. And uh, Kathy? I'm YesCT. And Peter? Best place to find me is usually in IRC as P. Willannon, but yeah, you can use Twitter also as Hook Menu, and you might even see some in the past about uh, helping me uh, kill myself for Drupal 8. <laughs> okay. I, <laughs> I was going to say fantastic. I'm not sure I want to say that, but okay. <laughs> and you can always find me at Ultimike as well as follow uh, at Drupal Easy on Twitter at Drupal Easy. And I'm not going to mention Andrew M. Riley or Ted Bow. Or Kelly, because they wanted to put lime on me in the last podcast. So <laughs> they're not going to get mentioned. Yeah, they're not going to get mentioned at all. Okay, You're not going to mention Brightbold? I'm not going to mention Brightbold once today. Absolutely not. So, Kathy, <laughs> you and the five questions here. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was listening to mm-hmm, the yeah. podcast because I listen to all of your podcasts. Thank you. And and you and you all were saying, "Hey, we need to have a new five questions and let's mm-hmm. get rid of this exotic animal question." And I'm like, "Ooh, I think that was one I came up with and I think we did the five <laughs> questions last time I was on." So I was like, "Great, I'll make up new five questions." So, I love that I'm, I love that goofy question. <laughs> Who would have known that Jeff Geerling rents a chicken? <laughs> Who would have learned that? <laughs> and that you could even rent chickens. I mean, come on. That is, you know. Well, you can rent goats. So it kind of makes sense you could rent chickens. <laughs> I, what you just said is new to me now as well. Like what other animals are available for rental? That's fantastic. No, no. People rent goats instead of lawnmowers for like overgrown areas or lawns. You know, as it's, you know, uh, green lo- uh, landscaping. 
are, is that like a thing or is that like, a, you know, something when you're like, you live out in the country somewhere and you have an overgrown patch and your neighbor happens to have a goat and you say, hey, can I borrow your goat for a few days? <laughs> no, no, and it's I'll a give thing a- where they, they deliver a trailer of goats. I think uh, like Google does it on one of their campuses. I'm not sure. If I, I don't. I don't know what to believe anymore. Right. I'm not Joshua. Okay. I swear. All right. Okay. So here's what we're gonna do, um, Kathy. I'm gonna let you ask Peter the questions. Uh, excellent. And I'm not gonna stop you. If you want to change any of these five questions, you can change them. I'm not gonna guarantee that we're gonna stick with them. But if you want to, you know, be involved with the five questions so bad, I'm gonna give you all the power. So Peter, good luck. all right great okay so yeah i didn't think about what order we should ask these in okay so peter what was the last piece of software you installed well so installed in a broad sense here i i actually went and dug up a python library for reading um shape files because i finally got my hands on the geographic coordinates of all the voting districts in my county, but uh, I didn't have any software to read them. So I needed to go find this uh, Python library to read them in and try to start making sense of them. Very it's called uh, cool. Py, PYSHP in the Geospatial Python uh, organization on, on GitHub. All right. Um, what is a goal that you haven't accomplished and you're finding slightly terrifying of approaching? A goal. Um, I, well, I think my goal is everyone's goal, which is to, you know, uh, be sufficiently successful that I, ha- I can st- stop working and, and do something for fun. But I, I'm one of those sort of personalities that, you know, I always need something to do. So I think that even if I was sufficiently successful that I could retire tomorrow, I wouldn't, I would find that kind of terrifying. <laughs> so your goal of, <laughs> of not having to work is terrifying. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to be able to do a job, you know, that's whatever it is that you want to do. Like, what do you want to do after you don't, after you're not doing Drupal anymore? Like, what, what would you do if you, if somebody told you you couldn't do Drupal anymore? Uh, would probably go back to like molecular biology and you know there's like a burgeoning movement of diy um genetic engineering so you know i think i would really just like go back to the lab or maybe just like start creating like killer bugs in my kitchen holy heck (laughs) i don't even know what to write down for that i'm just gonna go with creating killer bugs in my kitchen (laughs) nice holy cow I'm not sure if I'm if I'm psyched about that or afraid. <laughs> I, 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 I do know I want to hang out with Peter a lot more, though. That much I know. Well, and, and that none of us should be the one that tells him he can't do Drupal anymore. <laughs> and that we shouldn't eat there anything that yeah. comes out of his kitchen. <laughs> That's right. Do you want me to do Drupal or do you want the world-ending plague? <laughs> yeah, let's make sure he stays on the security All right. team. So, Peter, if you think back... At when you first got involved with Drupal and where you are today, where, what moment do you think was where you were like, you went all in on Drupal? Uh, I think I can identify that pretty specifically. Um, so back during the Drupal 6 development cycle, um, I had started to 
get to know CHX online, and um, he was rewriting the menu system, hence my Twitter handle of Hook Menu um, mm-hmm. for Drupal 6. And at one point, we were having a phone call, like an actual real phone call about like Drupal development, and he said something along the lines of, I've got part of it working, but I just need someone to work on the other part. And I think it's basically just writing a for loop, um, you know, to populate this other data. Could you do that? And, you know, I basically committed to doing that. And it turned out to be like rewriting the entire menu links hierarchy (laughs) tree system and months of work. But, you know, um, that was when, you know, I think I really, you know, just went all in and um, got, uh, got totally hooked. So is that Drupal awesome. 7? No, that was earlier 6, Drupal right? 6. The Drupal 6 menu, six? menu okay. system rewrite. Yeah. I think we see a common pattern. A lot of people are enabled to become great by somebody asking them to do something that seemed reasonable to do. So I think yeah, there's I mean, a there's told a big... me it was that much work I would never have done it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a huge value in asking somebody to do something. I think a lot of times we feel bad that we're asking people to do things, but really it could be, you know, an enabling experience for other people when we ask them to do things. Right. But that's one of the things of open source, right? Is, you know, anybody could jump in, but, you know, the imposter syndrome usually, you know, often stops people from saying I can't do that. I don't, you know, I don't know how to do that, but when you get an invite to do that or someone, you know, kind of give it, gives you a little nudge that that is usually enough to get you over the hump and get your role. Yeah. Peter will sometimes ask me to do things and I'm like, wow, if Peter thinks I can do it, maybe I really can. Right. And then I try and do it. Right. Otherwise I would just be like, eh, somebody smarter than me will do that. So maybe the lesson, you know, moving forward is, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, stop working on Drupal right now. Stop what you're doing and go find someone else and tell them to and do tell your them work what for to you. do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Something there. All right. Last question, Peter. Who is someone up and coming in the community that we should keep our eye on? I think there's a bunch of great people here in the New Jersey community that are up and coming. So I would say David Hernandez, but I think he's already kind of past the up and coming mark and into the like arrived, arrived mark. Yes, David um, Hernandez has arrived. <laughs> if he has a core conversation at NOLA, yes. Yeah. So, um, someone I might think uh, as up and coming is actually uh, this guy named Brian Osborne, who's uh, helping rewrite the CAS module, which is used by a lot of universities uh, for their single sign on. And he's, you know, been uh, working helped uh, maintaining it and rewriting it for Drupal 8. And I think that's a, a great contribution and uh, it's going to be important for a lot of organizations. And does Brian Cass have a, a username or? Uh, in IRC, he's uh, BK Osborne. Very cool. All right, very good. So are we going to stick with five questions, Kathy? Or do you, I'm gonna, it's, it's your it's <laughs> Do you segment. want me to go totally off format and I just like have <laughs> hey. 10 of them? I'm, no, I'm, this is fine. All right, very good. All right, that was good. I, I've always liked that last question. That was, that was fun to bring back. I brought that one back. Yeah, sorry. I, we might keep that one because that one I've always liked. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I think I'm going to get the, uh, the exotic, exotic animal one back in there, though. I'm not sure I can All get right. that one go yet. Well, I'm a fan of it because I right. thought of it. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, well, here, let's, let's wrap this up. 
As always, I also want to thank webenabled.com and devpanel.com for their continued sponsorship of Drupal Easy and the Drupal Easy podcast. Definitely check them out um, at webenabled.com and devpanel.com. If you want to hear more episodes of the Drupal Easy podcast, um, especially the last one where I do not appear and a lot of people found very pleasing, um, <laughs> go to drupaleasy.com slash podcast or search for Drupal Easy in iTunes or any one of the other uh, um, podcatchers out there. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can always call in the U.S. plus one, three, two, one, six, uh, I'm sorry, three, nine, six, two, three, four, zero. And finally, upcoming podcast. Um, in a couple of weeks, we'll have Ryan Zrama from the, I, I guess, is he still with the Commerce? Yeah, he's still with Commerce Guys, but a chunk of Commerce Guys has been, the platform.sh chunk of Commerce Guys has been spun off into its own company. So we're going to be talking to Ryan about that whole situation as well as uh, Drupal Commerce for Drupal 8. So I am looking forward to that. So, um, Kathy, Peter, Kathy, always great to talk to you. Peter, uh, mm. great to have you finally on the podcast. Thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, thanks for letting me join. And thanks for um, uh, inform, you know, teaching everyone about the Drupal security team. Um, I'm really surprised we did not let out uh, any additional information about the location of the bunker there in central New Jersey. Um, we'll make sure we don't let anybody know about that. And uh, yeah, keep that I wouldn't classify safe. it central New Jersey. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'd have to look at a map, actually, to really pinpoint it. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. So, and Anna, great to hear your voice, as always. Um, thanks, thanks. thanks for pitching in today. And I guess that's it. So we will see everybody on the next Drupal Easy podcast. See ya!